Hey, right on. Uh, Children's Church. So, anybody between the ages of two and six, if you want to head on out to the back and uh, enjoy a good time of energy and fellowship downstairs, uh, pumped for you and for your leaders. I was kind of pumped when we drove to uh, church this morning. Actually, is there somebody around that's certified to operate blinds in our church? That second blind there, Haiti Weeb's windshield. Yeah, perfect. There we go. I was kind of pumped when we drove to church, thanks Jake, when we drove to church this morning and uh, as we drove, turned down the gravel road, there was two, very quickly I saw two signs of spring. Uh, the first thing we saw uh, was a robin. I, I hadn't seen a robin before this spring, that was the first robin for me, so uh, that is a, a sure sign that spring is coming. Uh, the second thing that I saw was um, Billy Rempel's uh, motorbike jump had been moved from its winter perch down to a more practical position. I don't know if a jump like that is ever practical, but to a more practical position. And uh, I'm anticipating that that jump will once again be used this summer, hopefully without any uh, injuries. So that was, uh, those were the two signs that spring is, uh, is here or at least just around the corner. It was uh, Jonathan Swift, the satirical uh, author of Gulliver's Travels, who said, We have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. Uh, you can think about that a little bit. You can allow that to, uh, to sink in if you think there's any truth to it. Um, do you love people? All people. Uh, religion has caused some horrible fights. Uh, many of the bloodiest wars in history were largely based on religion. Some people would say that more people have been killed in the name of religion than for any other reason throughout history. And uh, Christianity would have to claim its fair share of that responsibility also. Uh, and then, of course, not just uh, fights that, uh, that end in bloodbath, uh, but somewhat lesser fights, fights that, uh, that didn't involve death particularly, at least not physical death, um, but there have been so many arguments and family squabbles and church splits uh, and other uh, fights in the name of religion and faith. It's crazy. Sometimes when I look at that, I wonder that there is anyone still coming to faith at all. Almost amazing that all people aren't completely turned off on religion already and running in the opposite direction. Partially probably due to the fact that the opposite direction doesn't actually offer much for an alternative. And so we still have a chance. I've been challenged and I pass that challenge on to you. Be very careful when you are tempted to label another religion as militant and violent and then you are tempted to gently stroke the Christian eagle Consoling yourself that we, above all people, are all about love. There are radicals in every religion, including Christianity, that seem bent on the fact that the best way to perpetuate their particular religion is by violently, either physically or verbally, cutting everyone else apart. The premise being that somehow destroying others will strengthen us. That has been tried on so many levels for thousands of years and really has not proven very successful and yet humanity in general 
can't seem to come up with a more effective pattern. We are on our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here this morning. But we will make a few pit stops along the way. Uh, by the way, I, I warned you during the course of the week via email, encouraged and challenged you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14. I'm going to um, back off a little bit on that right now. I, I, we're not going to cover 13 and 14, so don't panic as time passes and, and we're getting close to 12 o'clock and, and I'm still immersed in chapter 13 and you're wondering how in the world, what time is this all going to go to? Um, don't worry, we're not going into chapter 14 today, and so breathe easy. We're going to make a couple pit stops as we head towards 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've just come through the Easter weekend. Uh, we had a great service here on Thursday night where we tried to kind of emulate, uh, at least uh, symbolically, go through uh, some of what would have made that original Thursday night or Passover Last Supper event so meaningful. And so we tried to kind of capture some of that here when we were, when we were going through our Thursday night service. Uh, it was at that original Thursday night Last Supper uh, Passover meal where Jesus and his disciples were dialoguing and, um, and some very interesting things were spoken between them Particularly, of course, the things that are most recorded are the things that Jesus said. And it was at that moment, uh, hours before Jesus was facing this, uh, this violence, uh, humanity's radical assumption that violently getting rid of their threat would make them stronger. Again, Jesus was just hours away from that, about to face them, face that. And in that moment... Uh, hours before this violence was going to be imposed on him, uh, these are the words that Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, at that Passover Last Supper meal. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus makes a very interesting point here. Their culture was consumed with obeying uh, all the uh, myriad of Old Testament laws. And uh, a large part of that was uh, for the purpose of, and I don't know if, if we're totally, uh, 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 if we've totally graduated from this, but a large part of it was trying to obey all of those laws so that the people uh, around them who were observing them would be able to see that they were very serious about being children of God. And, and so they were very consumed with putting on an image or a show for the people who were watching them. And so Jesus clues into this, and even when Jesus gives them this, this new command, this new way of doing life, uh, Jesus begins by saying... Um, by this new way of doing life, which we're going to talk about more today, by this living out this new command, um, yeah, those, those, all those Old Testament commands are fine, uh, but how about instead of focusing on all of those 300-ish different laws, how about if you focus on one thing, and you focus on being filled with love and living that out, 
a new command I give you, love one another. And then he says, and he taps into their kind of obsession with being watched or putting on a show. And then he says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's interesting, he doesn't say, all men will know that you are my disciples if you get your theology right. He doesn't even say, all men will know that you are my disciples if you, if you get your ethic right. He doesn't say, all men will know that you are my disciples if you correctly identify what is right and what is wrong. He doesn't say, all men will know that you are my disciples if you get your LGBT position perfectly figured out and you are willing to publicly demonstrate to prove it. He doesn't say that all men will know that you are my disciples if you give at least 20% of your income to missions every year. He says, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh, and by the way, this is actually not the first time that Jesus had tried to make this point. In fact, he tried over and over throughout his ministry time to get people to begin to consider another way, another foundation from which to do life. Jesus was asked point blank. <coughs> Jesus was asked point blank, what is the most important commandment of God? Of course, they were referring to this myriad of Old Testament uh, uh, laws and regulations, including uh, the Ten Commandments. And, and the, uh, the answer of Jesus is recorded both in, uh, in Matthew chapter 22, and Mark chapter 12, and also in Luke. Luke, it's a little, little bit different, Luke chapter 10. But in each case, the answer is the same. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew and Mark, he, he kind of adds, and all the other commandments hang off of these two. Uh, in the Luke account, um, the man that asks this question pushes Jesus a little bit further and he, he wants Jesus to give a bit of an explanation. So, so what does this mean? Uh, who then is my neighbor? What are you talking about? And then Jesus uh, expands and he goes into the story that we've often referred to as, as the Good Samaritan where a man was beaten and he was robbed and he was left lying beside the road in very difficult shape. And, uh, and the first person that comes along is the priest. I, I sure wish Jesus would have picked somebody else um, as the first guy. But he picks the priest, the, the guy that's in charge at church. He picks that guy, and he, that guy comes along, and, and he passes by on the other side because he doesn't have time. He's got stuff that he's got to take care of at church. And then the Levite, who's, uh, who's going to be helping the priest, um, he comes along also, and, and he's in a rush too because he's got to help the priest get stuff ready at church. And so he doesn't really have time, so they keep going. And, um, and, and they don't take time to help this injured man, but then there's this, uh, this Samaritan, and in their culture he was an untouchable uh, and unspiritual, uh, both actually to the Jews and to the Greeks. And uh, likely there was nothing particularly appealing about him, and he comes along and, and he helps this poor, beaten, robbed man. He helps him with his own hands. Uh, he helps him with his own possessions. He puts him in his car, or at least on his donkey. Uh, and he helps him with his money. Um, 
So Jesus goes, which of these three um, loved on his neighbor? And the answer, of course, is rather obvious, and, and it was the unspiritual, untouchable. And Jesus says, uh, there you go. Uh, go and do likewise. Love people. Love people. Let's make the jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, so just as a quick reminder, we've been cruising through the book of 1 Corinthians, and last week in particular, we were in chapter 11 and 12, and we were talking about the exercising of giftedness in the church, and we encourage each other to be willing to believe that we all have been given gifts by God, and then to be willing to take those gifts and to use them to help build up the church and to help bless the people around us and to encourage them and to, and to help the church happen. And uh, so that's 11 and 12. And then we come to the end of chapter 12, and, uh, and uh, Paul, as he's writing this, he's referring to this, this stuff about giftedness, and also all the other stuff he's just finished writing about, about how to do church, and how to do church discipline, and, and how, to, uh, how to do marriage, and he's talked about the um, uh, food sacrifice to idols, and some of the other gray areas, and he's talked about so many different things, and then he comes to the end of chapter 12, and the last half of the last verse in chapter 12 this is what he says. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Here's another way to approach life. Instead of trying to get all of these details right and then get them all figured out, uh, here's, here's another way that you could approach life. Here's the most excellent. And so it's really Paul's version of the exact same thing that Jesus was teaching when Jesus said that this is the most important of all commandments, or Jesus also said when he was uh, uh, together with the disciples at the Last Supper, a new commandment I give you. Here's Paul's version. And now let me show you the most excellent way. And then Paul embarks on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is commonly known as the love chapter in the Bible. And, uh, and Paul begins... And I want to read for you uh, verses 1 to 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, we are talking about somebody who is very, very, very spiritual. But have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, if you are the most generous person around, both with your money and your time and your energy and your body and everything, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so Paul begins by referring back and saying, remember all of those things that we've talked about? Remember all of those things that I was challenging you to get right, you know, doing church politics right and church discipline right and church structure right and personal sacrifice right and correctly identifying your spiritual gifts and singing perfectly and preaching perfectly and having a perfect policy handbook and a perfect leadership structure and good Sunday school teachers and youth leaders and perfect sound and video and comfortable benches and good sharing and prayer time and even having miracle healings. And being crazy generous. 
Actually, all of that is useless if you don't love people. Paul identifies the inadequacy of everything else. I was at a meeting where a few pastors were going on and on about how in this day and age with so many of our, you know, our assumptions being challenged by new legislation in our country and, and all the problems that that brings and there's this kind of this panic in the air about how our most crucial role kind of as pastors and church leaders is to make sure that we get our theology and our preaching right. We have to make sure that our people keep on clearly understanding what is right and what is wrong. And they were pretty dogmatic. And after they had gone on for a while and I had a chance to say something, I, 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 I said, um, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I said, I, I guess I'm not totally convinced that uh, getting it all right and, and preaching and making sure everybody understands right from wrong, I, I guess I'm not totally convinced that that's my main job in church. And it was quiet for a while, and then they resumed their, uh, their ranting about uh, where everything is going to the dogs and, and uh, how horrible everything is. Um, I've shared with some of you before, I remember another incident, I was in a meeting with some very knowledgeable church leaders and they were, you know, and, and legitimately, I'm saying this legitimately, they, they were kind of talking about certain church structures and leadership styles and how this works and, and that doesn't work and, and, um, and unless we get all, you know, the structure and the system figured out and, and we get it right, you know, we're going to be in trouble. There are certain things that work in our culture and certain things that don't work and, and we need to make sure that we do our visioning and our goal setting and, and they were talking about all this stuff and I remember walking out of that meeting and I, my head was hanging down. I, I was shaking my head and I, I was walking out and I was thinking, I can't do this. I am inadequate. I don't know how to do all this stuff. I'm not smart enough. How am I ever going to get it right? And as I was walking out, it's kind of desperately praying, God, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how this works. And, um, and in my spirit, I heard, love them. What? What? Love the people. Love the people. Yeah, love the people. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I'm not very good at the structure stuff and the policy stuff and, and the systematic stuff and all of that. I'm not very good at all of that, but, but I can love people. I, I'm not even necessarily very good at getting the Christian ethic all figured out, and I'm not always totally sure what exactly is right and what exactly is wrong. Uh, but I will tell you here this morning, unashamedly, I love you. All of you. God has poured into my heart his love for people. Not for a minute am I trying to say that I get that all right. Uh, not at all. But I love people. I have to be honest, there's a lot of things that I'm not totally sure about. Even when it comes to teaching in the Bible. And I know that I've disappointed some of you from time to time on that score. What I am convinced about what I am sure about is that we are called to love God and we are called to love each other. I don't know how much more clear the Bible could be. And still it seems that we often don't get it. 
I'm almost ashamed actually to say it again because I feel like I've said it so many times and, and yet I need to remind myself and, and I'm assuming it's okay if we keep reminding each other. Paul is pretty clear about it here. Getting everything else right but not having love is useless. Actually, it's probably worse than useless. It's probably not just neutral, useless. It's actually probably negative, useless. Because if we do these things without them being saturated with love, then usually we are doing them on our own and usually we are placing some kind of value on what I'm doing. And you actually end up being deceived rather than even it just being neutral. That became quite personal for me again a little over a year ago. We had someone living in our house for a while. His name was Neil. Some of you, many of you know who I'm talking about and many of you uh, showed love to him in, in many different ways. Fantastic. And here he was living in our house and, uh, and I am tempted to pat myself on the back a little bit. We're doing a pretty good thing here. And one day in my spirit, I hear the question, um, Darren, do you love him? Well, I mean, take, we're taking care of him, aren't we? I mean, he's, he's living here. We're sacrificing some of our space for him. We're, we're helping him. Darren, do you love him? And that really disturbed me. I wanted to have a little bit of credit for the sacrifice that we were making. And God wasn't actually that interested in my sacrifice. Because there were a hundred other ways that God could have taken care of this guy. What God was interested in actually, very simple, was this. Is my love inside of you, Darren? Because if it is, then you cannot help but for it to be coming out of you and flow over and onto and into the lives of other people around you. And that truth is actually incredible freeing and at the same time quite sobering. And as I say that, we're kind of crossing over into the next section of verses. So hang on to that thought while I read verses 4 to 7. Verses 4 to 7 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Most of us make a mistake when we read that. See, what we hear it say is, if you love someone, then you will be patient, and you will be kind, and you will not envy, and you will not boast, and you will not be easily angered. And if you love someone, then you will always protect, and you will always trust, and you will always hope. And that is not what it says. See, we are doing kind of people, and as soon as we read something, then we translate it over. Okay, so that means I should be doing this, and this, and this, and this. 
And I believe Paul is being very intentional here, and he identifies love that is something in and of itself. Love is something. Love has an identity, and he is saying, ah, what you want is this love to be living inside of you, and when love lives inside of you, these are things that love does. These are not things that Darren has to force himself to do because he wants to be a loving person. If Darren focuses on allowing and inviting love to live inside of him, then this is what's going to come out. See, in our tendency is rather, oh, okay, I'm supposed to love? Okay, so let me see what I'm supposed to do then. And then I will do love. Then I will act out Love and I will make myself doing it, do it. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Let's reverse that. It's important that you understand something. It's important that you understand that your job is to focus on being filled with, with love. I preached about this at a wedding a while ago. And I told the couple, as I'm telling you right now, these are not things that you do when you are in love with someone. It's impossible to do these things as human beings. We can't always, 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 never. It's impossible. So these are not things that you do when you are in love with someone. Instead, these are things that love does. And your job is to be filled with love. Invite love to fill you. And then watch what love does. You focus on being filled with love. It's a good point for us to, or a good time for us to take a little detour to 1 John chapter 4. Probably a second to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 John chapter 4 is kind of the next, you know, real dynamic teaching about what love looks like and and the characteristics and qualities of love. 1 John chapter 4, and let me just show you a couple of highlights. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. We love... Verse 19, because he first loved us. Love originated with God. Love and God are inseparable. Where there is love, there is God. And where there is God, there is love. There, that's how I read it. And then he gives a rather practical implication of this teaching, also somewhat sobering teaching. And he says, Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If I interpret this correctly, then what he's saying is, if God is love, and God is inside of you, then love lives inside of you, and love has an identity. We just talked about that and saw that in verses 4 to 7 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when this love lives inside of you, then this love acts out its identity through you. That's why Jesus said back in the book of John, By this will all men know that you are my disciple, 
if you love one another. You will know what is inside of you by the fact of what comes out of you. God is love, and if that is true, and if God is inside of you, then what will come out of you? It has to be love. What comes out of you has to be of the same essence as what is inside of you. Really a very elementary principle. We're not going to, in detail, look at the last verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me just kind of summarize it this way. Uh, in those last verses in 1 Corinthians 13, there's kind of a progression thing happening there. And um, he, he kind of points back uh, through an illustration to Old Testament laws. And he said, you know, where the time frame where everything was legislated. And he kind of likens that to the time when you were a child and you thought like a child. And then Jesus comes along and he brings this new commandment, a new way of accomplishing and living out God's plan. You know, let love live inside of you and act out what it wants to act out. That's God's intent for us. And all of this motivated by love thing. And we're becoming more and more like adults and thinking as we embrace this, thinking more and more like, you know, grown-ups as an illustration. And he keeps going on about this, but then he... Then he says, you know, it would be so amazing. Just try and imagine what kind of a world that would be if, generally speaking, people just simply loved on each other. And, and, and I think everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that would be good. And then Paul gives us this crazy reality, and he says, okay, 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 hang on a second. Um, let's be honest. You know, right now we're kind of catching the general idea, we get the general principle, we kind of get a foggy outline of how this would look if we could all live and be completely motivated out of love. We, but the beautiful perfection and clarity and completion of that, let's be real, that is still waiting that will not be fully accomplished here on this earth. And I have to admit, uh, I can't wait for that to become full reality. In the meantime, it's my job and it's your job to invite love to live inside of you and then watch what it does. Amen. Would you please stand with us?